just as I am. Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And Who is my neighbor? To answer, let's consider the history of the Samaritan people, the first century animosity between Jews and Samaritans, and we'll wrap up by thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. These three points, I think, will help us answer the question, who is my neighbor? Following the reign of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two separate nations. Judah and Benjamin were ruled by the house of David through Rehoboam. The remaining tribes were ruled first by Jeroboam's line, and then several different royal houses arose to seize power. The northern kingdom ruled by Jeroboam and his successors, usually called Israel and sometimes called Ephraim or Samaria, was eventually conquered by the Assyrians under Tiglath-Pileser in 722 B.C., 2 Kings chapter 17 records this. In verse 6, Scripture says, In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Thus Israel was scattered throughout the Middle East. The king of Assyria brought in settlers from all over his empire to live in the cities of the former kingdom of Israel. These folks brought with them their traditional pagan religions, but began blending those religions with the worship of Jehovah. The settlers intermarried with Israelites who had remained in the land, and it's from this mixing the people known as the Samaritans later descended. The Samaritans developed a culture that paralleled Judaism. The Samaritans shared with Jews who looked to Jerusalem many characteristic beliefs— an uncompromising belief in and the worship of the one God, avoidance of images, loyalty to the law given by Moses, as shown in rigid observance of the Sabbath, circumcision, and festivals, a sense of being the chosen people with an attachment to the land given to the fathers, associated in their case with the Joseph tribes, and expectations of a glorious destiny. So the Samaritans shared many things in common with the Jewish people, and this harkens back to their partial Jewish descent. But there were some differences. One major difference was the Samaritan belief that Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac on Mount Gerizim, the mountain Moses identifies as the mountain of blessing, and not Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Based on this conviction, the Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerizim during the reign of Alexander the Great. The temple was destroyed by the Jews during the Hasmonean dynasty in the late 2nd century BC. But as we learn in Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritans continued to view Mount Gerizim as a sacred location, and worship of Jehovah continued past the destruction of their temple. They developed their own alphabet and held Samaritan Hebrew, Samaritan Aramaic, and Samaritan Arabic 
to be their sacred languages. This was another major difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans also had their own version of the Torah, known as the Samaritan Pentateuch. The Samaritans shared the Sadducees' view that the first five books of Moses were the only books to be considered scripture. Now, scholars speculate that Stephen may have quoted from the Samaritan Pentateuch in his defense before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, but the evidence for that is inconclusive as far as I can tell. Much of the Samaritan Pentateuch is the same as the Hebrew text, but there are a few differences. For example, take the Tenth Commandment. In the Samaritan Pentateuch, it's recorded in this way. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, and not thou shalt covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his field, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, so far, that sounds like the Hebrew text. But continuing on, here's what the Samaritan Pentateuch has to say. And when it so happens that the Lord God brings you to the land of Canaan, which you are coming to possess, you shall set up there for you great stones and plaster them with plaster, and you write on the stones all the words of this law. And it becomes for you that across the Jordan you shall raise these stones, which I command you today, in Mount Gerizim. And you build there the altar of the Lord God of you altar of stones, and the quotation can continue on. So notice there are a lot of similarities to the 10th commandment found in the 20th chapter of Exodus. But then we begin to see some divergence. We see Mount Gerizim held up as the sacred mountain, and this is just one example of how the Samaritan Pentateuch diverges from the Hebrew version of the Pentateuch. So the Samaritans were a society running parallel to the Jews. They too claimed to be God's people. They claimed a sacred mountain. They had their own sacred languages, and they had their own version of the Torah. So how did first century Jews view the Samaritans? Well, Jesus viewed them as foreigners. In Luke chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, Luke tells us, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is astounded by the fact that ten lepers were healed, but only one came back to give him thanks, and he identifies this man as a foreigner because he is a Samaritan. In Matthew chapter 10, verse number 5, when Jesus is commissioning the twelve apostles to take the gospel out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. So Jesus saw the Samaritans as foreigners. They were outside or apart from the house of Judah, the house of the children of Israel. Josephus was ambivalent toward the Samaritans. Sometimes he treated them as a Jewish sect, but other times regarded them as non-Jews, a separate nation, and representing the anti-Samaritan hostility that is the basis for the traditional picture of them. So Josephus's picture of the Samaritans is a bit more difficult to unpack. Jesus considered them foreigners, Josephus was a bit more ambivalent toward them, but others were not so inconsistent. 
They were not as inconsistent with Josephus in their disregard for the Samaritans. The Jews contemptuously called the Samaritans the Chuthites or the Cuthaeans after one of the peoples whom the Assyrians had settled there. The Jewish rabbis said, Let no man eat of the bread of the Cuthaeans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. Ecclesiasticus, one of the apocryphal books, depicts God as saying, With two nations is my soul vexed, and the third is no nation, that they sit upon the mountain of Samaria, and the Philistines, and that foolish people that dwell in Sikkim. Ecclesiasticus 50, verses 25 and 26. Now, Sikkim or Shechem was one of the most famous Samaritan cities. And in the book of Ecclesiasticus, God is claimed to have said that they were two nations that vexed his soul greatly, the Philistines and the Samaritans. Now, we have no reason to believe that Ecclesiasticus was an inspired book, but it does reflect the Jewish view of the Samaritans. Now, this hatred was returned with interest. It is told that Rabbi Jochanan was passing through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem to pray. He passed by Mount Gerizim. A Samaritan saw him and asked him, Where are you going? I am going to Jerusalem to pray, he said. The Samaritan answered, Would it not be better for you to pray in this holy mountain, Mount Gerizim, than in that accursed house? So this represents the Samaritan view of the temple in Jerusalem. It was an accursed house. But all this can really be summed up with what we see in John chapter 8, verse 48. It truly offers a conclusive answer to how the Jews viewed Samaritans. As the Jews were talking with Jesus, they say to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They see Jesus as basically being a crazy man, one to be disregarded, one with which they should have no association. So first century Jews viewed Samaritans as foreigners and showed everything from ambivalence to contempt to outright hostility, and the Samaritans responded in kind. Now in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus is asked by a lawyer, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks the lawyer for his understanding of the law, to which the lawyer responds, love God and love my neighbor. Strict Orthodox Jews like this lawyer wore around their wrist a phylactery, a little leather box which contained scriptures like Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, love the Lord your God, and Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost as if Jesus says to this man, look at your wrist, you tell me, what must you do to inherit eternal life? But the rabbis, ever anxious to parse the law to its finest detail, wanted to define the word neighbor. But unfortunately, their view was very narrow. My neighbor is my fellow Jew. When Luke says the lawyer wanted to justify himself, he means the scribe was looking for Jesus to endorse this very narrow definition of neighbor and thereby set his conscience at ease. So Jesus introduces a Samaritan in his parable about a traveling Jewish man attacked and left for dead by thieves. Now those who listen may very well have thought, ah, a Samaritan, here comes the real villain of this story. But as he was wont to do, Jesus flipped the orthodox interpretation of scripture on its head, demonstrating that it was the exercise of compassionate mercy and not heritage, which makes us neighbors. 
As we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, what is it that makes this Samaritan man a good neighbor? Well, when he came across this Jew, he did not see a Jew lying half dead on the ground. He apparently saw a fellow human being. And the Samaritan man was willing to risk his reputation in order to save the life of a traditional enemy. The Samaritan did not spare the best of what he had. Oil, wine, and cloth for bandages were not cheap items. He placed his Jewish neighbor on his beast of burden and took the lower position of walking. And when he came to the inn, he gave the innkeeper two days' wages to look after the injured man. The Samaritan apparently had a good reputation. The innkeeper trusted him to return and make good on the promise. When I come again, I will repay you. So the Samaritan Jesus describes defies all stereotypes. He's not the type of man the first century Jew would have expected. My friends, if we are members of God's kingdom, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not just the ones we like, not just the ones who are nice to us, but to love all of our fellow travelers, all of our fellow human beings. The message of Jesus' parable is everyone is my neighbor, including my enemies. To be like my heavenly Father, I need to bless those who curse me, do good to those who hate me, and pray for those who persecute me. If I cannot bring myself to love my enemies, how am I, as a Christian, any better than those who do not know the Lord? Jesus calls us to love those who, if the roles were reversed, would likely leave us for dead. As Jesus concludes the parable, he asks the question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said to Jesus, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.